Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern Men, de-reconstructing the South. Today we are going to start a new chapter in the Dixie Polis Podcast. We are going to start going through the Confederate veteran. Uh, this has been a little bit of a time coming. Uh, it's going to be a little clumsy going through this at first. But I think we're gonna get uh get a good stride going with this. Uh we have all of the issues of the Confederate veteran from its very first to its very last, and we intend on going through each of them. So, uh Travis, what are some things you're trying to get out of this before we get into it? Well, for for me, one thing would be like uh, how they think, how they interacted, how they saw society. Uh, I mean, our tagline is literally, um, we're Southern men trying to de-reconstruct the South. So what does an unreconstructed man look like? And how did they interact in those days? How would, how would, did society generally operate? How do they think it should operate? And what were some of the the gripes of the time that's carried over to today that we've just accepted? You know, um, and then also just like, let, let's bring out some, some, uh, reconstruction, uh, poetry songs, um, general articles and, um, and yeah, so, so that, because that type of stuff can, can really shape how we think. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking to get something similar out of it. Uh, I, I really want to look at the poetry and the songs, like what you mentioned, um, but I think it it's this is a little bit more helpful because it you can read a history book or you can read um a a book or an exposition of history by some historian, but there's nothing quite like getting history from the people who are living it, and they're not coming at it from this from the perspective of a detached historian who's just trying to quote unquote get to the truth right. Um, it's trying to get it from the horse's mouth, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And so my my big overarching goal is trying to get this history from the horse's mouth. Um, so it'll be a little clumsy this time. We're going to read some excerpts from the magazine as we move along uh, and try to pinpoint some of our ideas and thoughts about what's going on at the time. This first issue was published in 1893, January of 1893. Um, so it is pretty close to the end of the war. 
and they're getting organized. The the Confederate veterans are getting organized. I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Travis, but they're getting getting organized for political action as well as social action. It, from from my my recollection, right around because um in right around ninety three was um a lot more veterans were get, gaining the right to vote again, um and the yeah they were definitely organizing because I think Reconstruction was lifting some of the boot off the uh, off their head, off their neck, whatever. But hey, just check out the price of this of this uh, monthly magazine, five cents. Per copy, for fifty cent a year. Hmm. That would be uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the conversion rate on that is, but um, here, let's actually, see. I think there's a way to find out. So, a hundred dollars would have been two hundred ninety-six dollars today. We've okay, almost so tripled I mean... the 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 inflation. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Two hundred ninety-six dollars. So let's let's just triple that fifty uh, fifty cent a year. That's that's still like a buck fifty a well, year. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's three three dollars. Uh, it's so every dollar is three dollars. So each issue would be fifteen cent, basically. Yep. I mean, so it's still dirt cheap, like dirt yep, cheap for sure. Well, I mean, he, he, you know, he's going through this, and like, you know, I'm I'm looking at looking at some of the uh, the I, I guess you could call them gifts. Here, let me see if I can find some. I can't. Of course, when I'm looking, um, so he he's got a list of these people right here, and they they both emailed something or not? Oh crap! <laughs> My anachronism is showing. They mailed stuff in in like little notes or whatever, but they all donated like a dollar or twenty dollars here or there. Right, and um, he's getting this all started from uh, for, where? Where did you say he was getting this started from? Let's see, it's in the. All right, so in the in the very beginning, I'll just read it real quick. He says the the Confederate veteran greets you. It is not sent to anyone at random, but addresses you through friendship, personal obligation. Or because you have been recommend, you have been commended as one who might take an active interest in the cause for which it is published. Please read it carefully. Although the first issue has been edited from a sick room, and there is a defect in the arrangement, you will find its contents useful and interesting. Read every article. Please consider this: if each person addressed would send two subscriptions with one dollar, the publication would be assured as a perpetuity. He did not consider inflation when he made this comment. <laughs> uh, get a friend to join you in it, please. If you cannot send a single subscription, please read it carefully and persuade others if you think it deserving. The Confederate veteran is intended as an organ of communication between Confederate soldiers and those who are interested in them and their affairs. And its purpose is to furnish a volume of information which will be acceptable to the public, even to those who fought on the other side. It will at once be sent to every Confederate veteran organization in existence, and patronage of such bodies is earnestly sought. But he's he's saying, you know, I I finished editing this in a in a sick house, and uh, you know, 
the the organization's a little a little bad and random, so I apologize for that ahead. But we, I mean, but we kind of know how what it's like to start off a publication. Like he kind of knows right. what he wants to do with it. But so so it's kind of like us with our you know we're we're still trying to figure out what we're wanting to do with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, a year in, and we're and, still we're still uh, throttling this thing. That's right. I mean, we're still novices, but that's okay. So we kind of can relate to them. You know, our our first episode, the uh, the introduction, you know, um, was very much like this. But yeah, it it's interesting because you know, like you mentioned, you know, there were some people who just sent in some one one dollar uh, subscriptions and uh, added some letters. And there's some commentary here in this first part about that. Uh, but throughout, I think there's at least two or three more sections um, where he lists donations for other things. And, you know, he's he kind of makes the comment that you know, these donations might not be right. If you see an error, please correct it and you know, make sure that you can give accurate data. Um, it It's interesting. I, I made this joke. Uh, before and I wanted to bring it up now. You know, this is this is kind of that uh, like, share, and subscribe <laughs> of 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 uh, eighteen ninety three, right? Uh, buy some merch, you know. Push that like button. That's right. Um, it, it's it's kind of funny and it, it's it's um brings it home a little more. It's um you know the more things change, the more they stay the same in some ways. <laughs> Uh, so, right. uh, I, I, it's just a little, a little humor there to, um, it, it humanizes it really. Cause there's always the, the element of, you know, this thing has to be profitable in some sense, or it has to be worth it if it's not profitable. Um, and so this being used as a, a means of communication between Confederate veterans it was definitely useful, um, but I'm curious how profitable it was. Maybe it was. I would imagine it would be, but um, that's just a, a little curious curiosity that I would have. Yeah, I would have to know the overhead and then the you know the uh, the subscriber. I mean, I would assume that he had several several thousand subscribers, mm. right? So I mean, it had to be cost like less than a sheet of paper to to print that. But then you got to figure out time, but. Right. Um, wouldn't wouldn't actually know that right now off the top of my head. And and I'm I may not even do any digging. I just thought it was a, a curious thing to ask a question about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, but um, well, I mean, the next section, it, it, I mean, he kind of could just go straight to the point. I mean, what kind of spurred this right was was uh, the death of um, Jefferson Davis, and they were wanting to build a monument for him. And um, so he kind of goes into uh, to to why they think they need a monument. How mo- monument? Good night. A monument. And, uh, but monument, and then, then soliciting donations, that type of stuff. Um, uh, let's see, like, uh, just had it here. Okay, so they were trying to raise a tribute of no less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they, you know, he says like, you know, we should we should be able to like that in no time because the Yankees, you know, he, he says that they, 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 they spent a half a million dollars on their monument. 
you know, so we surely, surely we can do half of what they can do, right? And, um, man, I mean, I would assume, I need to figure out what monument this is and if they actually got it built. Yeah, I'd be interested in finding that as well. Uh, maybe that's something we can do a little digging and on a future episode we'll come up with what we find out. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, we we think about these monuments, but we don't actually think about how they got there, you know. And, and it was put up by this generation, you know. The they're still the veterans of the Confederacy, but they're starting to starting to heal. You know that that wound is starting to be mended. They're they're home. They're marrying. They're having children. They're starting families. They're trying to live the life in the, you know, how they can. There's a there's a little bit of that optimism coming back. I mean, they still. Still licking their wounds for sure, but there there's a little bit of hope that you know things can get better. You know, it's not all gonna stay as negative as it was when they were getting shelled. Right. You know, Atlanta's booming at this time. You know, granted it's filled with carpetbaggers, but if you were smart, you could have took the carpetbaggers' money. Yeah. A lot of people did. <laughs> a lot of people did. And hey, I, and so like a lot of times people will say that, you know, oh, they're scallywags because they're doing business with the Yankees. I mean, Yankee money spends ju- spends better than Confederate dollars does. So, right. um, I mean, I kind of like this, you know, this one. I, and I might let me, well, this won't really be a spoiler, but it's a, a line from the, the book that you're reading for my recommendation, Gone with the Wind. Uh, there was this grandmother and she's like, look, I know what you're doing up in Atlanta. Take the Yankees' money, but kick them in the face. Done with them. You know, that's just what you get. You just kick them in the face. Take their money and let them be about their <laughs> let let them be about their life. Right, and it's a way of having some kind of economic retaliation against the Yanks, um, who were coming down trying to take advantage. You know, the the carpetbaggers weren't coming down out of good good morals. You know, they were coming down to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I- instead of them taking advantage of you, you take advantage of them. In- anyways, but back on the, the subject of monuments, um, that there's this one particular quote. Actually, there's two quotes that I'm going to read, but I'll read the one at a time. Um, and it was talking about, you know, what kind of monument should we be building, right? Like, what do we want to convey with that monument? Whew, that monument a- at the United Confederate Veterans Reunion in New Orleans, Senator John W. Daniels of Virginia said, let there be reared no unmeasuring shaft, but a temple in which his own refuge shall be the central object and around which shall be grouped the heroic replies of the battles of the Confederacy and the pictured faces and the sculptured form of the great and true and brave men who fought them. I hope to see the movement grow beyond the temple shall stand. The Battle of Abbey of the South, the undying memorial of the people who fought their own battles in their own way for their own liberty as they conceived it for their own independence, as they desired it, and who need give the world no other reason why. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, why, why, why do the monuments stand today? And that's, it, it's to, I mean, literally, if we're putting the... Um, Putting the monuments as a symbol, as a marker, saying, you know, 
one, we were right, but two, we're honoring our heroes because our heroes are worth honoring. The dead, the unnamed soldier that's buried out at Gettysburg that no one can, that private, that no one knows the name of. You know, these memorials honor him. And, yeah. Right. And you have any? Well, and, and it's, you know, it's more than just the honoring of our, our heroes, you know, to their posterity, but it's, you know, maintaining a semblance of um, <clears throat> cultured connection with the past. Uh, e each culture is going to build monuments to their history and try to um, have that connection with the past. And, and, and that's what the monuments are for, right? It, it it allows you to reach back in time, as it were, and really pull from what they were, what their struggle was. Uh, not just a remembrance, but also a connection, a tether. And that's why you know the revolutionaries of our day are going going out and trying to rip the statues down because that breaks that tether with the past. If you could break that tether, you can forget the past. That's really what they want. They want it forgotten. They want it to be a footnote in history. And they're 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 fairly open about this. This is not something that they hide about. Um, you know, this is why they say they want it in the museum. They wanted a museum right next to Nazi Germany, right? Uh it's it's that group of people that was, you know, terribly evil that just hated everybody else and needed to be destroyed, and they were. Well, uh, one of the, the so there's a story right after that 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 kind of quotes you know so General Albert Sidney Johnston at the Battle of Shiloh um, he was buried there and then his remains were transferred down to New Orleans. Uh, well, in the meantime, they had like this 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 small like wooden structure that they had to um, basically it was a temporary marker for the grave. Well, this lady was visiting the cemetery and she saw a piece of paper attached to that wooden structure. And um, basically, from what from what this article says, it was uh, let's see, it was the exquisite lines went around to the presses of the country of England as a model of the English composition. Uh, Lord Palmers, Lord Palmerston, pronounced it a modern classic, Ciceroian in its language. And um, this is one of the things that you know I was bringing up. Um, I'm on page three, by the way. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I was bringing up was that the um, the they they had a they had a grasp on the English English language that I don't think many Southerners have today, um, including myself. I mean, I'm a backwoods hick, but even the backwoods hicks could quote you know Milton and stuff like that. We're, right? we're like they actually we're backwoods hicks and swamp rats that want to better ourselves. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And y'all are listening every second of that. <laughs> but but the but but you know this is kind of a long um, a, a long passage. But uh, you know if it was if it was getting praise in England, then let's see if my rendition of this is uh, is worth a crap. Uh, Beyond this stone is laid for a season. Albert Sidney Johnston, a general in the Army of the Confederate States, who fell at Shiloh, Tennessee, on the sixth day of April. A.D. 1862, a man in many 
a band tried in many high offices and critical enterprises and found faithful in all. His life was one of sacrifice of interest of conscience, and even that life awed a woeful Sabbath. Did he yield as a holocaust at his country's need? Not wholly understood was he while he lived, but in the death his greatness stands, confessed in a people's tears, resolute, moderate, clear of envy, yet not wanting. In that finer ambition which makes men great and pure, in his honor impregnable, in his simplicity sublime, no country e'er had a truer son, no cause a noble champion, no people a bolder defender, no principle a purer victim than the dead soldier who sleeps here. The cause for which he perished is lost. The people for whom he fought are crushed. The hope in which he trusted are shattered. The flag he loved guides no more the charging lines. But his flame consigned to the keeping of that virtue as a shrine shall in the years to come fire modest worth to noble ends. In honor now our general captain rest. A bereaved people mourn him. Three commonwealths proudly claim him. And history shall cherish him. Among those choicer spirits who hold their conscience unmixed with blame have been in the conjecture true to themselves, their country, and their God. I, I apologize for some of the stumbling. The font is uh, not the best on um, on these PDF scans. We're working through it, guys. Of course, of course I don't think the um, the actual print was much better because it was literally made with like an old school printing press. But yep. I'm not complaining. I have it. I can I can make out I can make out some of the small details. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's an absolutely like fantastic freaking eulogy that just some unknown soldier put there. Um, well, and it kind of tells you the the kind of uh, respect that the Southerns had for the people who fought for them. Um, and there was there was real gallantry and dignity for these men. It wasn't something that um, was just a, a you know fly by night kind of deal. Uh, they had an interest, and they fought for that interest, and they fought gallantly for it. So, uh, do you want to you want to move on? Yeah, we can move on. That's fine. Uh, so, so the next part is is really like a small biography of uh, of President Davis, um, the last legitimate president of Alabama. Um, <laughs> but, but it starts out with him visiting um where you know his childhood home. Um, let's see, it's a uh up in Todd County, Virginia. They were it was there. They were dedicating a Baptist church, and uh and and that's kind of the reason I want to bring it up is because for one thing, there was inclement weather. Like the article says that you know it was ra- excessive rain, many miles through the mud. Uh, just just generally a bad day, but crowds from all around just flocked to this little Baptist church, this red brick Baptist church. They said, and um, and, and one of the lines that really stood out, um, is the only line from his speech that that they gave was, "Many of you may think it strangely of my participation in the service, not being a Baptist. My father was a Baptist and a better man." So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, um well from what i know of his father which is it's it's not a terrible ton but what i do know of his father i i um i don't know i think i think pretty highly of davis um i've read a couple of biographies on him 
and uh, the man was a Zeus-like figure to the south, just as Washington was to the colonials. Um, he would he would be greeted with reverent silence when he walked into a room. Um, and there was a reason for that. Uh, he spent almost the entire war uh, fighting to keep the South together, unified. And it was really Davis that that pushed the whole idea of a Southern nationalism to begin with. It was his brainchild, so to speak, uh, so, uh, Southern nationalism. And it was an attempt to stop the different states from having infighting during a time of assault. And um, uh, to see how much he uh, petitioned senators and um you know local magistrates and you know while the while the confederacy was was up and running uh most of his work was with the military so he was trying to deal with you know military commissions and the like and part of his goal was to create a a unity of the south and i think that he did a, a fairly decent job at that um i th i think the substance of of jefferson davis is is uh highly virtuous let me put it that way well i, I know i've mentioned this on a, a previous podcast but the only thing we learn about jefferson davis and this all comes from a, a reconstructed education is that jefferson davis was president of the confederacy oh and by the way when richmond surrendered the, the unions captured davis uh wearing women's yeah. clothing mm -hmm. and, and i don't believe that story is true um I, I pro I need to read more into that, but I think it probably Jefferson, is, but it it's not it's not like it was portrayed. I I don't think he was like wearing a dress or anything. Um, I think he had a scarf on or something to cover his face. They couldn't be recognized. Um, and and it was made because at the time they didn't have a lot of fabric, and so it was actually made out of out of a woman's dress, but it was a scarf, not a not a full full dress. Mm -hmm. Certainly overblown. From the Yankee side, for sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, it kind of goes through this and uh, how he kind of moved around, moved around a lot. How he went from Louisiana up to Mississippi. Oh, so three of his three of his um his uncles volunteered for the War of eighteen twelve. Davis's uncles, and, but the fourth was drafted to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of hilarious. I I would assume drafted to stay home means he was probably part of some local militia, uh, home front guard, that type of thing. That was very common. Mm. Um, I mean, especially in Mississippi during, you know, the War of 1812. Good night. Um, yeah. Mississippi's not even a state yet. Not yet, but we're working on it, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I know Alabama wasn't until um, 1819, so. Yeah. Um, I, I want to read a one of the a little excerpt of the trip one of the two tributes to mr davis Dude, to speak to the character of of davis there were two tributes that were provided inside uh the magazine here and one from uh colonel h m doke uh who was the first speaker of a uh one of the entertainments given in nashville he says jefferson davis built his own monument firmly in the history of his country a heritage for the world. It rises firm and true out of his struggles as a typical American youth, 
out of his service to his country on the fields of Mexico, out of his planter's life adorned by domestic love and the affection and confidence of neighbors and slaves, out of his earnest, stormy political struggles, out of his, ab out of his able organization and support of the American military system as Secretary of War, as a statesman, out of his far-sighted projection of a transcontinental railway, railway, out of his long and able career as a statesman, out of his faithful struggle to preserve the Union as it was, and out of his sad but resolute departure to enter upon inevitable civil strife, out of his able, able civil administration as president, out of his capable preparation for and, con and conduct of war, out of his clear and able state papers, out of his unfaltering devotion to civil liberty in the midst of arms when laws are silent, out of his preservation of the forms and spirit of civil government when the military, ne military necessity for a dictator must have tempted him strongly to sweep aside all that stood in the way of the military arm, out of his stubborn endurance in war, out of the ignominy of unjust chains and pun punishment, out of his life as a man and a citizen, a neighbor, husband, and father, out of his quiet but able part in church and business assemblies when he was denied all part in political affairs, out of these conditions of his busy life rises the monument he built, he builded, more endured than bronze or marble. To ourselves we owe it to build a, a material monument symbolic of these virtues. Um, you know, the the man refused to leave prison because he wanted his case for secession tried before the Supreme Court. He rejected several times uh, attempts to provide him presidential pardon. He was offered that several times. He wanted to go to court because he knew that he would win his case. And the history that was just covered there in this um, uh, this tribute really captures the character of the man. Uh, one of the things that struck me in, in one of the biographies I've, I read about him, uh, there was one slave that he owned that betrayed him to the Yankees. And the other slaves on his plantation completely shunned that one slave for the remainder of his life, even after Davis's death, because they all respected and revered the man because of how he treated them and how he dealt with them and the genuine love that he had for them. That, that speaks a lot that even through you know, the bonds of slavery, someone can still love you that way that they would hold your name in high regard in that way. I don't really find it that odd. Like, I mean, we, we see that in scripture, right? Like we see that in, um, uh, in, in the old covenant laws. If, if a, if a slave doesn't want to be free on the year of Jubilee, then you take him to your doorpost and shove an all through it. And he can perpetually remain your slave because he loves you. And, but, but today we think about that as such a foreign concept, but 
we oh, do, I can see it. We we do. I mean, I, I I'm speaking more to um. I'm speaking to the modern conception of it. Um, right, right. You know, the the people of the day had that kind of camaraderie. Uh, you know, even the the black slaves in the South wanted to fight for the South because they believed in their in their nation. They believed in their country. And okay. Uh, you can see this maintained today with uh, uh, Harold Edgerton. Um, he's a known advocate for the Sons of Confederate Veterans and the United Daughter, United Daughters of the Confederacy. Uh, and he's a he's a Protestant minister, and he's out there trying to advocate for the camaraderie that the, the South has always had amongst its people. Um. And so there's there is some of that still alive today, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's not dead, uh, but it is hidden. Uh, it's intentionally hidden. Well, no, I mean, I, I was kind of basing, um, you know, going after the um, the concept of how people can say, oh, well, how could, you know, how could slaves love their masters if they're slaves? And I'm like, yeah, but, but that's seen all throughout the ages. But, uh, how, yes. how can a child love their parent when effectively the relationship between child and parent is slavery? It is. I mean, as I can't remember who it was that says it, but uh, yeah. But there's there's really no difference between there's no argument that could be made against slavery that could also not be made against parental rights or a per parent's power over the child. I think that might have actually no, been happening, but. Uh no, it was uh, I think it was either Rene Girard or maybe Evola, one one of those philosophy peoples. <laughs> uh, well, Evola would certainly make that argument, but yeah, we can kind of. But I don't know if you want to cut it, this it, out there or not. But no, 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 we we can keep this in there. Um, but my my entire point is like I don't want to go back to slavery, but at the same time, like slavery is not the big evil that we think it is. Yes, right. there were some evil slave owners. There always was evil slave owners. There's always going to be evil slave owners. And there's, you know, you know on the flip side, there's evil slaves. There always yes, will be evil yeah. slaves. Um, you know, the, the sin is not abrogated because the person is in a disadvantaged situation. You know, yeah. and, that's, and that's kind of the, um, you know, even with children, you see this today. And I, and I, don't, I don't think this is unrelated, especially... You know the link that we just brought in. Um, you know, even with children, people tend to say, "Oh, you're being too hard on that child," or "Oh, you shouldn't," you know, get on to them about that because they're just a kid. And it's like, you know, the the kid still has evil, and you need to teach that kid to fight his own evil. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and some of the over, let's call them over anxious motherings over-anxious mothers in the South who are, you know, a little doting, shall we say, um, that want to protect a child from any kind of harsh punishment or uh, being locked down of any in, in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, the child needs that, frankly. Especially boys need that. Uh, they, they, need, they need struggle. They need hardship. They need something to overcome. I, I, I'm getting right. a little off topic. Sorry. 
Yeah, so so to bring it back in, um, do you have anything to say about that last no. section? No, I'm done. All right. So so to bring it back in, uh, we're just gonna move right on to, to page six, and uh, there's a section on uh, there's there's two of them. One of them I'm not really gonna touch on too much. It's, uh, it's the favors received and petitions refused, and he names a bunch of railroads that um have have helped him out along this little journey, and and um, the, it's it's basically like a um. Uh, the way I want to kind of frame it is like, okay, these people help me out, so let's um, let let let's give our business to them if it's all possible, right? Kind of like these are our guys, type thing. Uh, and he said some of them's like, oh, th- this guy right here, yeah, he's received a lot of money from uh from Yankees, but uh, he he contributed a lot to uh to help us out greatly. So he's our guy, but you know he's still taking Yankee money, um, which which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. And then the second section is, would be the re- reunion of the Hanson Kentucky Brigade, and uh, so this is basically just an announcement and um, an explanation and that that type of stuff for uh, for a reunion of Hanson's Kentucky Brigade. Like so, basically, it would be like, you know, oh, this, this is your you know ten year reunion. Let's go to it and what is the thirty almost thirty year reunion? Yep, not quite thirty for the end of the war. Um, and they'd be like, hey, there's a get-together. We're announcing it. We're going to send it out in this flyer. And if you want to attend, boom, you have the information right there. Uh, it was during this time that you saw an explosion of Confederate monuments across the United States. This next section kind of talks about uh, the the monuments that are popping up all over the country. Um, you know, the, it opens with New Orleans has taken the lead. Um, uh, it's, that's... That's wonderful to hear because sometimes New Orleans takes the lead in all the wrong kinds of ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this seems to be a you know a place where they took the 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 initiative in the right way. Um, but it talks about you know monuments to uh, uh, Robert E. Lee, Army of Tennessee, um, uh, the Army of West Virginia, uh, just various monuments throughout. Uh, and the one of the things that is interesting to me that I I it, I appreciate seeing is you see a lot of this push from the women, uh, the 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 wives and the daughters of the Confederate veterans who were really wanting their men honored in the public square, and so I I think that that's I think that's a useful bit of context. Um, you know, a lot of this this drive to see the people honored weren't just, you know, random people. They were actually family members of the people who died. And they, they, they wanted that, you know, I mentioned it being a tether to the past, you know, they wanted that tether so that they and their, and their, you know, descendants could reach back to that tether and really tangibly touch the history there. Um, I, I think that's a endearing, I, I think is a good word. Um, kind of, kind of moving along because that that takes you know seven and eight. Uh, generally speaking, that's seven and eight. Uh, pages seven and eight are about that. Um, you know, dealing with one of the the issues, especially after war, um, of you know homelessness for uh, veterans of any kind of conflict. Um, you know this this next part, uh, homeless veterans in Georgia. 
Uh, I'm going to read just a just a little bit of it. Uh, the general public interested in such matters shows how zealously and successfully our people in Georgia worked to secure the home in the vicinity of the Capitol for disabled Confederate veterans, and that the state legislature was refused again and again to accept the property, coupled with a provision to appropriate a maintenance fund. The trustees, not content to surrender the cause, have considered several plans for carrying it on. Colonel Brewster submitted a plan to them, which meets with general favor, for organizing a stock company of persons who take the property, given so much annually, as necessary for its support, and then to own it with when its special uses are done. Constitution says, quote, It is fortunate that the trustees of Soldiers Home have been called together for an early meeting. Public sentiment is crystallized into the proper shape for action, and we are gratified to see that the suggestion of Colonel Brewster in regard to organizing a stock company to run the home is very generally endorsed. Other good suggestions will doubtless be made, and it is hoped that the trustees will feel encouraged to make another effort to save the splendid charity for our needy and homeless veterans. Uh, again, I mean, this, this kind of strikes to the, to the heart of, of, I think, the theme of this first issue of the Confederate veteran is that a lot of this is not, has, a lot of this is done prior to any real uh, reintroduction of Southern suffrage. Um, you know, much of this is being done by Southerns who don't have the right to hold office or to run for office. And it's, it's being done entirely of personal efforts personal money that's invested, personal time that's being spent, meant to retain what was the people of the South. Um, you know, with the monuments, and now you see that the trying to find a, a, a way to house homeless veterans, it's all done from the, the, the private pocket. And so they're finding ways to do a little legal jujitsu to make sure it gets done properly. This kind of actually brings brings back to something that a little bit later in the article and how, um, you know, it was talking about the pension funds. You know, it's kind of a I wasn't going to go too deep in that, so I'm just going to go ahead and mention that right now. Um, but essentially, once the war was over, the 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 U.S. government was the one that started to pay for the pension funds, right? They mm -hmm. they started taking care of the um, the, the orphans, the uh, the widows. And they started drawing pensioners checks from the United States government after the war. And um, so it's it's similar to like what's happening here with the homeless and that um, they are. Uh, they're, they're helping both sides, veterans of both sides. Right. But um, anyways, that, that's all I really had to add. OK. All right. So so another is uh, they're, they're reminiscing the rebel yell. So I mean, that's a huge part of Confederate, you know confederate lore like that's deep confederate lore right there and um basically what it was is like many people think of the three measured huzzas given now that the and now they have the rebel yell so so before it was the huzzah 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 type deal um you can take that part out uh but now <laughs> now now we have revolutionized the war game and we have created the rebel yell the most fierce attack known to man deals 50 points of HP. That's right. Um, 
<laughs> but 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 basically, you know, that so a lot of times when the veterans got together and uh we're probably gonna edit right here. Point I'm pointing up, you know, like the subscribers and the YouTube things. Um we're gonna put the rebel yell in here, but it is like a demonic screeching. Just like just imagine being across some trenches from some guys that sound like literally dem demonic coyotes just yelping. And there's thousands of them just charging at you with bayonets. Okay, that, that is probably the most horrifying thing. Especially you just got to the country. You're some you're some poor German in Grant's army. Okay. And you've never you don't even know what a southerner is. Well, first you off, you're German, so God's gotta help you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the, right. Well, uh, well Ger that's... German hate on this channel amplifies. <laughs> <laughs> well but that's the whole thing like the, these these boys come over here fresh off the boat from like germany and ireland and they're just sent straight to the front lines sent to sent to grant's meat grinder and all of a sudden you just hear like this yelping sound of demonic coyotes just coming for you and then the next thing you know you die and you meet your maker right okay that, that's that's literally literally your life in america right now is you you just got killed by some some demonic southerner <laughs> but, but but and it's really anyways. a bunch of hillbillies you know hollering like they would at like cattle or something but but okay so there's this there's this little quotation in here um there's a southern mother on the stand who says she wants to hear the rebel yell once more the announcement transforms and in an instant i found myself acting the humble part of a file closer to company one fifth kentucky infantry with pieces at the right shoulder, the brigade in route column, with the active, strong, swinging stride of the enthusiastic trained soldier, they hold the double quick over rocks, logs, gullies, undergrowth, hill and vale, until amid the the foliage of the trees above them, the hurling shell and the hissing shot of the enemy's field, guns give notice that it's retreating. They have they have missed the way, yet there is no command to halt. Direct on the unchanged course, this battle-scarred and glory-mantled battalion of Kentucky youth continues as they reach the open woods. The clarion tones comes the order. Change front, forward to the first company, etc. The order executed found them found on the ground, but recently the occupied by the battalions of their foes, and few of these had left their positions. The battalions of Kentuckians were in the battle array. Or once were they but now the ground was almost literally covered with federal dead, the entire length of the regiment of 700 men. Men, did I say? Soldiers was the word. There were few men among them, they being the youths, but soldiers indeed. They increasingly spat, whirled, and hissed of the mini-ball hurling by, but left no doubt of the fact among these soldiers. They are about to enter the action, gain the forward in this order. Steady, men, steady. Hold your fire. Not a shot without order. It is hard to stand, but you must not return. We have friends in our front. They are being hard-pressed, and the ammunition is almost spent, and they are our proudest and the best. The Humphrey Mississippians will hold that ridge while they have a cartridge. So, so, so if, you know, the, the whole thing, like, you know, the, the lady gets up and says, you know, I want to hear the rebel yell one last time, and immediately he's taken back to that place on that war zone, you know, in the midst of the fog of battle. And, and so and that, that's, you know, I could imagine like if, if that was our war cry and I heard it, yeah, I would get some major PTSD. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. 
Well, it, well, it, so so it's interesting. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's interesting because when they did North and South reunions and the South did the Rebel Yell, they literally sent Yankees into shell shock. Yeah, no, that so that that's the other thing. Uh, there's a there's a flip side to it. So um, so it's kind of like the 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 Polish hussars. This kind of a war tactic has worked fantastically throughout history. Uh, the hussars would be on on horseback, and they had these metallic wings that were on the back of their armor. And as they would, you know, it's it's all heavy cavalry charge. So as they're charging, the 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 metal flaps of the wing, the metal the metal feathers of the wings would flap, and it would bang together, and it would create this um, thunderous noise approaching. Uh, and the instinct, the human instinct, when you hear something that devastatingly loud, you want to run from it. Um, and so, it it's as a war tactic, having that that chorus of a sound to attack your enemy as an initial shock. It it both paralyzes your enemy, but it also grounds you into the um the movement of the whole you become part of the whole unit and so you know part of what you're seeing here in this in this flashback is a reliving of that charge that they had a reliving of that moment when he was part of that grand attack both psychological and physical enemy I've I've read a few books just about this specific ph phenomena in warfare, and it's a devastating weapon against the enemy if you can find a way to make it work. The Hussars were able to make it work with the wings, and the South made it work with the Rebel Yell, and it's why it was so infamous. Well, infamous to the North, anyways. Um, so, so it kind of reminds me to, as kind of an analogous to this is how like the fish swim in schools mm -hmm. and how they just become one big unit instead of, you know, individuals. Yes. Uh, kind of makes me think of that. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining like the amp, the amperage going through your veins <laughs> when you're charging. You're... You know, granted, you you might not have slept good the last two nights on the cold, muddy ground, like literally having to sleep on your back because mud's just coming up around you, you know. But once you you fired that first shot and you've got your bayonet on, you're just charging to the lines, just freaking yelling. Dude, that's got that's got to be like one of the greatest drugs on earth. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You're you're uh, all all of the good feels are are felt at that moment. For sure. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is with that level of um that that level of excitement that you go through for a charge like that, it's physically devastating. And mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the one of the things that's incredibly impressive to me to this day is the amount of push that the Southern Army had that they could do that charge consistently every time they went into battle that you would have like Jackson's 
soldiers. They would go into warfare, and they would use that consistently. And it, they would be physically exhausted after that fact, and then they would get up the next day and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And then they would march you know, four times the distance that a normal army could march, and then they would do it again right after they got done marching for that distance. You know, they marched you know, two, two or three days or a week straight, and then they got onto the battlefield and they started charging with the artillery going off behind them. Um, uh, it's a, it's fascinating and it's and it's impressive that men could do that. Uh, spurred on by a love of one's country. Yeah, I mean, and just just think about like how how that, um how this war was actually fought right this is something like it, it was it was not what we think it is i mean it was but it's not i mean it was absolutely like tiring disgusting you're hungry all the time um marching you know jackson's foot cavalry march you know 12 15 miles a day mm-hmm. um probably more and and this isn't just like you know it's not even like a hundred people just walking through the forest. No, this is thousands and wagon trains behind, you know, like you're moving a lot down that road, you know, that time of day. And that's, that's just freaking like unreal in my Mm -hmm. mind, like logistics and that, like, I just can't fathom that. Um, Well, in, in, in a sense, the South was not even as prepared as the North was in terms of logistics. Everything right. that they were doing, they were doing as as kind of this homegrown kind of a deal, uh, and a lot of times, you know, individual commanders or generals essentially had full reign over their soldiers, mm-hmm. and so you saw the personality of the leaders expressed through the soldiers, and you know Jackson's, you know Jackson, Forrest, um, you know even General Lee, their their personalities really came out in the way that they. Uh, utilize their men. You know, General Lee was was much better at defense. He was much better about the engineering of defense. Whereas Jackson, was, well, he was an engineer, right? And and uh, Jackson was was all about light infantry and um, uh, you know, in Forrest, what everybody wants to says about what what anybody wants to say about Forrest. I mean, Forrest, when he opened up, he opened up. <laughs> He was yeah. a he was a demon on the battlefield, and and that um, that shows uh, the the quality of the men that they could take in this ragtag group of soldiers and actually fight against a group that ostensibly should have whipped them in the first year. Um, but, mm-hmm. the, but they prolonged it much longer than that, uh, just because of their um, their tenacity and their skill in battle. Uh, the the other thing that I want to mention here, just because uh, I it makes me sad just to think about it, is you know they could have whipped him after Jackson had his first victory if Jackson would have just marched to D.C. But you know it's history, so not much we can do about so, it. So I actually uh, see. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a copperhead, uh, meaning he's a um, he's a his family comes from the friendly northerners that today he learned that General Early actually did attack D.C. I didn't know that. Really? At all. Yeah. It, it might have been even later in the war. I would have to 
uh, actually go back and look that up. I'm not, you know, I might have a Southern podcast, but I am not a Southern, you know, Confederacy aficionado. I have just general knowledge. So, well, I you know that, but other people might not. <laughs> yeah, I know that um, the the Union Army in D.C. was drunk off their ass that night. And yes. and he was literally a day's march away. They would have all been hung over and barely would have had their britches on by the time he walked in. He could have taken D.C. that day. And yes. he, and, and Davis was uh, shocked by the way that uh, – shocked by the forthrightness of Jackson's response. Um, and I, I – I I think this is the one characteristic of Davis that I I wish he didn't have. Um, where you know he had a little bit too much pride in himself, and he thought that the way that Jackson talked to him was inappropriate, and so he got angry about it, and that factored into why he didn't listen to Jackson then. And that wasn't the only reason. There were other logistical reasons as to why that he didn't do it. But, uh, anyways, that that's a that's a whole different tangent. So this gets to one of the things that I really want to pull out of these is some of the poetry and some of the songs. Uh, we're going to touch on two which close up this this issue um, of the Confederate veteran, and it'll it'll close up our episode on this podcast. This episode of the podcast. It's titled "The Conquered Banner" by Father Abram Ryan the poet-priest of the South. And then um, there's a war song a little later on. Uh, Travis, I'll let you handle the war song. Um, I, I want to read this real quick. I, I think it's good because it, um, it it really captures the sentiment of the day. And, and I think um, I had not heard of Abram Ryan before I read this Confederate veteran issue. Uh, and so this might be something that would be good for us to go on these rabbit trails every once in a while. I'd like to find out who Abram Ryan was and and get into some of his, well, preaching and poetry. Um, he was a papist. <laughs> probably. But he's buried, he, he's buried in Mobile. Oh, is he? Okay. Mm -hmm. You already know a little bit about him. Well, I, I just, I Wikipedia'd him. Oh, okay. Wikipedia. Uh, it, it it would be good to go and do a little investigation in some of these uh, characters that come up. Uh, I I would like to have little um, short bios of these characters so that that we could do a little further research on them. But let me read the Conquered Banner. Um, a lament for the banner of the broken country. Furl that banner for tis weary, round staff is drooping dreary, furl it, fold it, it is best. There's not a man to wave it, and there's not a sword to save it, there's not one left to lave it, in the blood which heroes gave it, and his foes now scorn and brave it, furl it, hide it, let it rest. Take the banner down, tis tattered, broken in its stuff and shattered. And the valiant hosts are scattered, over whom it floated high. Oh, tis hard for us to fold it, hard to think there's none to hold it. Hard that those who, won, who once unrolled it, now must unfurl it with a sigh. 
Furl that banner, furl it sadly. Once ten thousand hailed it gladly, and ten thousand wildly, madly, swore it would forever wave. Swore that foreman's sword could never, hearts like theirs entwined, sever, till that flag would float forever, or their freedom, or their grave. Furl it for the hands that grasped it, and the hearts that fondly clasp it, cold and dead or lying low. And the banner it is trailing, while around it sounds the wailing of its people in their woe. For though conquered, they adore it, love the cold dead hands that bore it, weep for those who fell before it, pardon those who trailed and tore it, oh, wildly they deplore it, now to furl and fold it so. Furl that banner, true tis gory, yet its wreath, yet tis wreathed around with glory. And twill live in song and story, though its folds are in the dust. For its fame on brightest pages, penned by poets and by sages, go, shall go sounding down the ages, furl its folds, though now we must. Furl that banner, softly, slowly, read it gently, it is holy, for it droops above the dead. Touch it not, unfold it never, let it droop there, furled forever, for its people hopes are dead. That was black pilling at the end, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a time of depression, right? I mean, it, the the yeah. South has been beat into the ground, and he's just, you know, the you know the, the the whole point of poetry is to express these things, and you know now we're I think we're getting to a point where we're gonna start less unfurl it, right? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna more and more put it up. We're gonna more and more uh, hold it high and hold it proudly. Um, I think I think we've been through a second period where the sentiment um, was was pretty prolific. Frankly, I th I think there was a period of time when Southerns were you know recently where Southerns were ashamed to fly the flag to fly their their colors, and I see that some in Mississippi right now. I see that some in Mississippi right now with the change of the flag. Um, that has been thrust upon the state of Mississippi by illegitimate means, um, and you know some people are hiding from the from the old Mississippi flag, and that's unfortunate. And uh, I think it needs to be fought against. And there's a there's a a a number of people in the state of Mississippi who are not going to let the old flag die, so so to speak. So I can understand the sentiment. I I know the feeling um, that's being expressed here. Yeah, it's a little black pilling, um, but it, it it must also be understood. You know, they're they're still recovering, um, and and we have a chance to get back to the love that the Southerns had for each other, and we have a chance to um, really have that that unity that the South I think once had. And that's part of our podcast, right? Is to get back to that. So, um, hopefully that 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 poem, a little, a little bit of a cathartic release of some of that black pill that we have in the South. Um, we can know that it's it's been there for a while, and maybe maybe addressing that and you know addressing that that sentiment, uh, maybe we can heal a little bit more from it. Hmm. Uh, so, so to wrap all this up, uh, it's the we're we're 
going to end on the Kentucky Kentucky State Guard war song. Um, and this was uh, sung in the camps of the 1st Kentucky Brigade. It's infantry during the war of 61 to 65 and since reprinted for Charles Herbs, who was the 2nd Kentucky Infantry. Instead of you having to sit there and suffer, listen to me read the song, uh, we found a rendition by Bobby Horton. Bobby Horton has fantastic music, by the way. He's he's recreating all the um, southern and northern uh, war songs. And uh, so check him out on YouTube. But we're going to put his rendition at the end of this to close us out. Uh, do you have any closing comments? Um, I mean, the only the only thing I would say to wrap this up would be... Um, I, I think the first few episodes... Uh, the first few... Back up. I think the first few um, editions of the Confederate veteran are going to be a little blackpilling just because of what they were dealing with. But I think that it's good to 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 hear that because it it touches something we're dealing with today. There's a you know depending on where you are, it really feels as if there's a divide being driven and has been driv driven and has completely separated us from the past. But it hasn't we haven't been separated from the past. Uh in in the age of technology, age of you know, YouTube and the internet, you really can reconnect with this stuff. You really can bring the old ideas of the South forward. You know, we've constantly said that we don't want to go back to, you know, 1860, and we're not trying to go back to 1893. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to get a sense of what they felt like after the war and what they were trying to do and what they were feeling at the time. So I, I'm happy because I think we touched on that a little bit now in this episode, but I think moving forward, um it would be it it will be like i said a little bit of a cathartic uh addressing of that of that desire for a black pill that that we as southerns have um and and we can fight against that and overcome it you know hitting on that technology aspect you know they they were black pilled in um 1893 uh rightly so i mean but do what I, what I was thinking was is do you think S.A. Cunningham knew people from 2022 were going to be reading his articles? No, I don't think he did, but I think he was trying to lay the foundations for that. What we're trying to do. Right. In, 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 in kind of a way, we are standing on top of his shoulders. I mean, because yeah. he, he started producing, I mean, this is basically, you know, um, 1800s um, content, right? And, and so he's talking about the South. Now we're pulling off of him, and and kind of like we we are the we are the the birth of his dream, right? Um, right. Not only us, but every other Southern content creator, every other Southerner that's kept their Southern identity and hasn't you know become a rootless vagabond upon society. Um, so, but uh, so so in a way, like we're going to look past a lot of the black pilling because. You know, we know there's the white pill. We are the white pill. We are the resistance. <laughs> yes, we are the resistance.
march away to battle. Cheer, boys, cheer for our sweethearts and our wives. Cheer, boys, cheer, we'll nobly do our duty and give to the South our hearts, our arms, our lives. Bring forth the flag, our country's noble standard. Wave it on high till the wind shakes each fold out. Proudly it floats, nobly waving in the vanguard. Then cheer, boys, cheer with a lusty lumble shout. Cheer, boys, cheer, we'll march away to battle. Cheer, boys, cheer for our sweethearts and our wives. Cheer, boys, cheer, we'll nobly do our duty and give to the South our hearts, our arms, our lives. But as we march with heads all lonely bending, let us implore a blessing from on high. Our cause is just the right we're defending, and the God of battle will listen to our 